This is Maya Thomas. I am the DSC podcast producer, and I just wanted to give you a quick rundown of DSC as an organisation before we get started. DSC is a team of 33 people across Australia, all working together to bring specialised training and consulting expertise to providers in the disability sector. Our focus is on helping providers to survive and thrive in the NDIS, and our purpose is better outcomes for people with disability. All right, here's what's going to happen now. Hello and welcome to our podcast. We are DSC. Your turn, you're the boss. Disability Disability done done different, different. candid conversations. Hope you are ready because we're starting. Welcome to Disability Done Different. Today's slightly different. Evie's in the studio in Perth with our guest Sam Jenkinson and I'm sitting here in Melbourne so we're using Zencaster and it'll be a different way of approaching a podcast for us. I'm excited to have Sam on the line because I've, I've known Sam's work for a number of years and I think she's a rare combination of public servant and advocate. In fact, those um, two don't go too well together in a sentence. So we'll be exploring today with Sam how she's been both a Bolshe diva and past chair of the Women with Disabilities Australia. So over to you. Welcome, Sam. Oh, thank you. Welcome. It's great to talk to you both. So, Sam, I thought we'd just jump straight in into the deep end. Uh, when I was sitting out in the waiting room, we're here at um, People with Disabilities WA's office. I saw that you've got a, a brochure about people who might be looking to engage in sex or with a sex worker. And that's fairly topical this week because just last week, the AAT ruled that it was reasonable and necessary for somebody to have sex therapy put into their NDIS plan. So I wondered if you could give a little bit of a comment on where sex therapy and sex work fits within the NDIS. And interesting, Evie, when we did have this conversation internally on our, our Slack channel, it went off. There were so many different people, different consultants at DSC that have an opinion on this, and a lot of us disagreed across different issues. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to hear from you, Sam. Sure. It is very topical at the moment. So from actually from quite early on in my career, I've always been interested in the promotion of people with disabilities as sexual beings. There's been stuff that I've done with the lovely George Teleporis in the past talking about sex and sexuality and what all that means. So it's really important, I think, that this ruling has been had and I really hope that even if the NDIA appeal against it, that it, it stays in place and is held because that there's this underlying thing about the NDIS which is all about having the same opportunities as anyone else. If someone didn't have a disability, would it be expected normally that you would access a sex worker or sex therapy of this sort of nature? And the reality is most people probably wouldn't. So what is it about having a disability that makes it different for some people? Mm -hmm. And there's sort of two elements to it. So there's sexuality counselling or support that might be, you know, from a therapy type perspective. Then there's the actual element of physically assisting someone to have sex. So there are couples out there who both have physical disabilities who need the assistance of a third person to be able to enjoy a sexual relationship. That should absolutely be funded, I think. And then there's the element that we know that for some people, being able to access sexual services, being able to do something like masturbate, which is actually a normal human thing that we all do, is really difficult because of their disability. If that's something that anybody generally in their life should be able to do and can easily do, and someone with a disability needs support to do that, they should be able to access funded support to do that. 
Mm-hmm. That's sort of what the whole basis of reasonable and necessary is about. So bringing it back to those same principles yeah. is absolutely perfectly fine with me. Yeah. And I think we should be giving people that information. Mm-hmm. Sam, you mentioned um, George Talaporis, and it's, it's Dr. George Talaporis, and he did his PhD on um, sexual relationships and disability. He'll probably kill me for paraphrasing it that way because I don't know what the actual title was. <laughs> George is certainly on our list of future interviewees for our podcast, but can you tell us about the work you did with George or one of the questions we should ask George in a podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm very happy to. So I um, and as a participant in his research study, I can tell people about it myself. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, I was a participant in his research study oh, yeah. um, way back then, which was uh, really interesting because there was both a focus group of a a number of people with disability that talked about all of these issues, you know, what help do you need? How do you view yourself? It was very much about people's personal perception around sexuality and how they felt other people perceived them. But also when George was with No Limits, uh, the lovely community TV show, we actually did a section around uh, sexuality, disability, and I talked about my experiences as a person with a physical disability and how often you're very much seen as being asexual. So Mm -hmm. people don't think about the fact that you might have sex, that you might have kids. So my, both of my children were born after I've acquired my disability. Um, And just interesting things like my husband, you know, one of his friends before we got married said to him, oh, you know, gee, you know, you're a braver man than I. You know, you must really love this person if, you know, you're giving up sex. And he was like, yeah, well, I'm not. (laughs) And in fact, you know, just to say, you know, I'm pretty good in bed. (laughs) So that leads me to another question, Evie. I'm not giving you a chance just yet, but I just do want to jump in. I don't know, Sam, if you've had a chance to listen to our podcast with Rhonda Galbally, but with Rhonda we talked about, you know, did the personal become political or did the political become personal? What was your journey in 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 the way, I was going to say in terms of, I hate using in terms of, but I think it fits, in terms of having a disability and becoming political? Where does it work for you? Where was the tripping, tripping, ticking, whatever, tipping point? <laughs> you just gave up on that question halfway through. <laughs> well, but I think it's a really good question, Roland, and I guess for me, you know, as a good social worker and feminist, the personal is the political. Uh, so, um, well, you know, I did have my accident when I was in first year university. Um, and after my accident, that's when I studied social work. And yeah, and I do really think that, yeah, the personal is the political. It's really anybody can take the aspects of their personal experiences and look at what do they need to do or what should they do that has a political element to that. In my personal life as a person with a disability, I do a lot in that political space and and can see the policy and legislative and political nature of disability discrimination that affects me personally. And it is very much about really how aware you are of those things happening around you and how everything we do shapes our perceptions and what community looks like and to to then shape it to be what you want, you need to be involved. 
Mm-hmm. So your your first um, response to that question reminded me of this quote that I found online today describing the Bolshe Divas as disability activists in the style of feminist masked Avengers. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Bolshe Divas, can you tell us a bit about yourselves? Sure. Look, and uh, the Bolshe Divas was sort of set up through some of the initial um, national disability strategy development as well as the NDIS development. And really it was a lot of women that with disabilities mostly and sort of coming together and saying, you know, we need to be able to say some of the issues that are underlying how things are done where we can just really just be open and honest and just put it all out there. And uh, one of the women that was involved early on, I remember she you know, talked about that a lot of the time in the disability sector you get a bit of a shit sandwich, Um, you know, sort of, you know, there's the ordinary, then there's the shit, then there's the ordinary, Um, but things are often dressed up, uh, you know, and we use terminology. So right now, for example, we're talking a lot about co-design and co-design actually the principles behind it have been around Mm -hmm. forever. It's nothing about us without us. Nothing's changed about that core concept of what it is. But we keep trying to find different language because the language gets subsumed and we relabel the shit stuff that we do with this new fancy name to try and make it sound better. Yeah. So yeah. the Bolshe Divas was sort of almost that that we're going, well, often sometimes in our jobs that we're doing, we have to work with people and you have to find compromises and that's part of how you move things forward and and change happens slowly but you also need people who can just go and put it out there warts and all you know the emperor has no clothes on type stuff that can bring the conversation forward and move it up swiftly for all the people that are doing the the hard negotiation work behind the scenes so to speak so the Bolshe Divas was sort of a way of trying to get some of that conversation sort of highlighted and pushed up to the next level. Yeah, and you've got some awesome stuff. That, um, another quote from the website that I liked was that there's no requirements to be a Bolshe Diva, just owning a desire to bring about change, a sense of humour and a ton of Bolshiness. And I think that's totally reflected in a lot of the great resources you guys have created. So we'll, or you ladies have created, I should say. So we'll link to some of those in the show notes for those of you who are curious to read a bit more. Tell us one of the more outlandish things that the Bolshe Divas have done that you're proud of, Sam. So I think probably, and look, and I must say that I'm just one person. In fact, there's a number of Samanthas involved <laughs> uh, and I'm certainly not the most famous one of them. Um, and one of the things which I think um, as a collective Bolshe Divas should be the proudest of is some of the work around the Senate inquiry into disability abuse and neglect. When the Senate inquiry came to WA, a number of the women sort of came along and placed a white rose down for every person that they talked about who had died as a result of abuse and neglect through our systems. Um, And I think that was something that was really powerful. Sam, I really understand your humility and not wanting to take credit for the Bolshe Divas, so we want to preface everything you say in that respect. 
But one of the things the Divas have done, which I've really enjoyed and a lot of people do, and it's in the name of the, the group, is that you're using theatre and you're um, bringing humour, you're bringing theatrical effect to issues that are often very difficult. And the example you just gave was a perler. There's a lot of advocacy organisations out there that sometimes seem to lack a sense of humour or um, sometimes seem to not be able to bring forward things in, in, in positive ways. Well, what is it about the Divas that you found the sense of theatre or is it a group of failed drama students at work? <laughs> well, I think there is an element of creativity that's trying to find some outlet, definitely. Um, yeah. And look, a big kudos to Samantha Connor for a lot of that because she's a very art, she's come from an arts background. Um, but I think there are a few of us which have come from that background of um you know, arts and creativity and mm. and I think there's also an element of being, um, having a disability, you're often trying to find a way around things and you often do use quite dark humour sometimes mm. as a way of just coping with things not always going your way and having to find a different way to do things um, or to explain things to people and I think that comes through a lot in, in the way we approach topics that gives it a bit more of a flair, I think. So there was a little bit in what you were saying before about uh, the work you're doing now around co-design and having to find new ways to describe that. And it was making me think about the local area coordination model, which is uh, which is supposed to have been designed on the local coordinators that you've had in WA for decades. Is it that long? Yeah. And yep. you can't, it would not be a fair characterisation to say that the NDIS model vaguely resembles what you used to have pre-NDIS. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. It really isn't like the LAC model that we had here. Um, you know, there's still, I'm an optimist, there's still hope, it's still <laughs> early in the, early enough in the stages. Um, I think, you know, I mean, the thing is that there are some things which could change it quite significantly. It's about having the people with the will to make the change co-design, nothing about us without us, back to that core element. Right now the board of the NDIA, I'm sure they're all lovely people, but they're all coming from a particular background which is about processes, money, compliance. Uh, There's not as many of that. The board actually is balanced towards the model that we've got. Yeah, It should be having these sorts of conversations that we're having and it's might not be having them because the makeup of the board's not actually the right balance. Yeah, and you're doing quite a bit of work with people with disability WA to increase the number of people with disability on boards, right? It's one of we the major are. focuses. Yes, <laughs> we are, and I wasn't saying that to try and get to that Go point. Go on, give it a plug. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly, yeah, look, I mean, the, the core principles behind the NDIA and the NDIS is, you know, it comes back to that core principle of choice and control. How do people with disabilities have choice and control? Not just at that individual, what am I choosing to eat and wear every day level, but how are people with disabilities shaping what this looks like? And to do that, they have to be at the levels of board levels, senior management levels. We've actually been really successful with the project that we're currently doing because we've got board chairs from some of the big service providers here in WA 
who haven't in the past necessarily had people with disability on their boards. They've often had family members and carers, which is important, but they've not had people with disability who are now going, yes, actually, this is important. We need to make this change. And they're championing, um, they're championing that for us, which is great. Yeah. That's, I'm proud of that. That's a bit of a win. Last Friday, we were involved in a national roundtable on the NDISN rural and remote issues. And a couple of things were really put strongly there. One is that the agency has not been good at listening. It has not been, it talks about co-design, but it's not good at executing co-design. But on a very positive note, the people there were saying, we're, we're about to hit the next generation of the NDIS. The mad rollout to get the bilaterals met is still going and it'll continue for a while, but there is now an opportunity for us to take a breather and perhaps do things a little differently. So if the agency is willing to listen, is willing to do co-design, can you give us some tips on how to go about it and do it well, given your vast experience in the area? Oh, look, I'd love to. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think you're right. I think that there is a time now where the rush for transition is pretty much over, so it is a sort of like, what do we want to bed down now yeah. as being how we're going to do things into the future? So I think there's some really important parts about co-design and why it's co-design and not just collaboration or partnership. We've actually developed up a bit of a co-design matrix. Um, the co-design group actually being representative of the diverse mix of people with disability and the community is really important. So we've always tried to ensure we've got young people, old people, people with diverse sexuality, people, um, uh, you know, mix of gender, ethnicity, Aboriginality, as well as then diversity of disability as well. And that's really important because what works for me as a person with a physical disability doesn't always work for someone with a different type of disability. And one of the things that I think is um, a big issue for the NDIS is how are their systems flexible enough to cater to that diversity of disability. Um, um, the other part is that the co means that the decision-making is yeah. co-decision-making, not just here we've done this and the decision's made by somebody else elsewhere, which is a hard thing for a government department to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the design part is often the bit that's also not done well. So design thinking is actually about problem solving, really identifying what the problem is and you're designing something, which means that you need to look at options, come up with prototypes, um, not just modify an existing document that you've consulted on. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, so that design thinking part, I think, is probably the newer element of what makes something co-design rather than just collaboration or a partnership approach, if that makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. So, Sam, we've got a younger woman working with us, Sarah Gingold, and she's an absolute star. And I'm sure one day she'd, you know, like to be a Bolshe diva. She's got all the... Um, all the key elements required, what, what advice would you give a, a, a young woman coming through the system that is a born advocate um, in terms of doing what you're doing? Oh, gosh, tips and tricks and <laughs> advice. 
Look, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always found uh, is about finding where I need to be at the right time. Uh, uh, so, you know, so bear with me for a second here. I like where it's going. Um, so... I'll often use the analogy of the environmental movement because it's quite, it's a good one to sort of look from the outside and see where you've got people who are activists and then you've got, you know, your conservation council or your land care groups that some are doing things by going out and practically doing stuff. Some are doing things by negotiating um, with government sort of behind the scenes. And then, yeah, and then there's the activists, you know, your Greenpeace and all that. And so the Bolshe Divas was a way of sort of being at the activist end for those people that maybe are more comfortable most of the time in that middle space of being an advocate. Being an advocate is very much about coming up with ways to solve problems as much as it is about raising what the issues are. So it's often there is negotiation and compromise in it, even though it might not always be right there at the forefront. So figuring out which bit of that spectrum are you in at different times is really useful to know, is this the right way for me to approach how I'm going to deal with this issue? So for example, sexuality stuff, is that an issue that's going to be better off with me having a few quiet conversations as an advocate or getting dressed in my leather and this is literally the exact same conversation we're having with Sarah today. I'm I am all saying I'm, I'm speaking to Sam Jenkinson today. We'll see. Should it be one article or multiple articles or quiet conversations? It's the exact conversation that she's having. Yeah. It, no, look, and, and it is because actually it's not me being the activist this time. Maybe this time I'll be the quiet conversation. But I might just let Sam Connor know that something's happening. (laughs) So don't try and do it all yourself. Um, I need to make sure that I've built relationships with other people that feel the same as me as well. So finding those other people that um, will engage with you in the conversations can think creatively about how you might address it. It's really difficult not to get bogged down in the detail Mm-hmm. And it's really um, difficult sometimes not to just be angry all the time, mm. because but you know, and it's okay to be angry. It's <laughs> not. It's not. Don't be angry. It's be angry, but know when you can go ah and hit my pillow and tell my husband that the whole world shit. <laughs> and when I go, okay, now what am I going to do about that? And who do I need to get engaged with to make something happen? I personally am a bit action-oriented, so I um, will think about projects, partnerships, who can help me move this forward Um, because that's the way that I think. Uh, Other people might go, I'm going to write a blog about it, I'm going to do a Facebook post. So you've got to find, you know, how is it that you're going to express to to do that? But I do think that the biggest thing is building some relationships with like-minded people. Yeah. To move that forward is so important. That's fabulous advice. Thanks, Sam. I think we're done with Sam Jenkinson and, and the Bolshe Divas and we, we thought you were going to be a great guest and it turned out fabulous and it's, it's been a real treat talking to you, Sam. Not a problem. I'm happy to be called absolutely fabulous. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. It's a good fit.
You've been listening to Disability Done Different, Candid Conversations. If you want to learn a bit more about the Bolshe Divas and Sam's work at People with Disabilities WA, you can find some links in the show notes. Uh, we have a fabulous newsletter as well. That beautiful Sarah Gingold we were talking about writes some of the sector's best resources, if we do say so ourselves. And you can find that newsletter where you can subscribe at disabilityservicesconsulting.com.au. 